Past, present, future, live. In-depth conversations and exclusive live performances featuring some of the most dynamic artists from the world of contemporary music. From Osiris Media, this is Past, Present, Future Live. I'm your host, RJB. This week, we talk with Shannon Labrie, who has a new album, Building, coming out September 25th. Shannon's a great singer, songwriter, and musician who made her way from Nebraska to Nashville with a lot of stops in between. Her unique voice has led to comparisons to Nora Jones, Jeff Buckley, and many others, but her voice is all her own. Her songwriting style has evolved, and her current album, which was all recorded live to tape, has themes of emerging from struggle to a new place of redemption and clarity. After the interview, you'll hear Shannon perform Raining Hallelujah, Alcohol, and Firewalker. Please check out these videos of all the exclusive performances at youtube.com slash osirismedia. And you can find a Spotify playlist based on this episode in the show notes. We'll get into the show after a quick word about our sponsors. We've told you before about Sunset Lake CBD. I use the CBD tincture every night, and I think it really does help me have a better night of sleep. And their CBD coffee will keep you caffeinated but chill all day. To get 15% off your first order, go to sunsetlakecbd.com and enter the promo code PPFL15. The link is in the show notes. And if you're listening to this show, you love live music. We have a special offer to share from nugs.net. Our listeners can get a free 30-day subscription by visiting nugs.net slash PPFL. And one listener who signs up for the trial will get a free annual subscription. Nugs.net has over 15,000 shows and a growing collection of over 100 full concert videos on demand. This past week, I've been diving into My Morning Jacket live shows because there's a bunch of them on there and they're all really good. I actually think Jim James should come on this show, but that's neither here nor there. So get your free 30-day trial by going to nugs.net slash PPFL and the link's in the show notes. And now, here's my interview with Shannon Labrie. Enjoy. All right, I'm here with Shannon Labrie. How you doing, Shannon? I'm doing great. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We're excited to talk. You have a new album called Building, which is coming out on September 25th. And the first single, Firewalker, was listed by NPR as one of Public Radio's favorite songs of 2020 so far. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. <laughs> so yeah. It's awesome to have the public radio community behind you before the album even comes oh, out. Oh, I, I squealed like a little girl. <laughs> I, I actually woke up and I had some fans from Florida that were messaging me on Facebook Messenger. I had all these messages. They're like, did you see this? They were they were very proud, but I was very honored, very honored. That's really cool. And it's a good song. And I got to listen to the album. And I think it's a really good album. And we're going to get into that. But first, we have to go all the way back. And I have to ask you, what's your earliest musical memory? Ooh, um, it would have to be my dad playing guitar. That would be my earliest memory. Yeah. Do you remember how old you were? No idea. Very little, though. Like toddler age? Yeah. And so was music being played around your house uh, all the time? Yeah. My mom and dad were both really musical. My mom played piano, and she actually has a beautiful singing voice. And my dad was a songwriter just for his own pleasure. And he was actually a phenomenal guitar player. He was a great finger picker. And he learned how to play guitar by listening by ear to James Taylor, which I've always thought, like, I grew up on hardcore James Taylor. 
And I've always been so surprised because a few years ago, many years ago, I guess now, because I would think I was in high school, but like I sat down, I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn some James Taylor songs. These songs are great. And, and you just, they sound so easy. Mm-hmm. And then I sat down to try to learn them. I was like, wow, <laughs> these are quite difficult. Um, so even more kudos to my dad for being able to pick that up when he played. That's cool. Did he ever want to pursue music as a career? Or was it always just a hobby? It was, I think, always a hobby. I think he, my aunt told me that he went to Nashville once to just kind of see what it was like. And I think for him, it was just like, oh, this isn't, this isn't what I want to do. So it was definitely more of a hobby and like for our family and our little town in Nebraska. That's cool. You grew up in Lincoln, right? I, yeah, I actually was born in a small town called Douglas, which okay. is uh, like a town of 12 people. Okay. <laughs> There's not the school or anything. Um, yeah, but I grew up there. And then when my dad ended up getting sick and passing away when I was little, but when he got sick, we moved to Lincoln to be closer to the doctors. So. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So there was piano playing and singing and guitar playing. And what kind of music do you remember being captured by or captivated by early on? Yeah, um, for sure. James, James Taylor. I love James. And even still, I mean, he's, he's a time capsule for me. Anytime I hear him, I'm just instantly like, like it's just a deep breath um, to like my really great childhood memories. And uh, the Beatles yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's such a huge song for me. I love that song growing up. And then when actually close to when my dad started getting sick into high school, um, I discovered The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, which was a new record. And I remember going to the store because I really wanted to get this Rob Zombie record. <laughs> yeah, I was being very rebellious. <laughs> and of course, my, my parents, my mom was not going to buy that for me. But I ended up getting The Miseducation of Lauren Hill instead because it was on the rack and I just thought, it sounded interesting. And anybody that knows me for the next five years, they're like, oh, yeah, Shannon always had the Miss Educational Lauren Hill on. It's all I listen to. So, I mean, and I'm kind of an obsessive music fan, too. I, But I'm not like a discoverer. I just, when I go listen to music, I listen to my favorite records, you know, so. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I'm, I'm an obsessive music fan, as, as we talked about earlier with all my tape covers on the wall. But a lot of the musicians I talk to, some are voracious consumers of music, you know, will listen to hundreds of artists all the time. And then there are some, and I'm like that too. I, I'm, I'm more of like a, I go back to the classics, but also deep dives on, on artists. Yeah. For me, even with artists though, cause like the war on drugs, mm-hmm. love that band, but I listen to that one record and there's two songs. That's really what I want to listen to mm-hmm. is I want to listen to pain. <laughs> Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, yeah, that's a great song. They're they're really amazing. That whole record is that whole record is great. Or like Sound and Color, Alabama Shakes. I just know. I just like putting on a record. It's like I know front to back. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, that's interesting. Did your parents play records front to back? Yes, they would have. Because really, when I think about listening to music, I think about driving in the truck with my dad, and there's lots of CDs, and we would pick the CD out and we put it in and l- listen to it. But we didn't have a record player or anything. So yeah, I would say we just listen to records. There's a Christian artist named Michael Card. Okay. That is a crazy like musician. Not not your typical. Um, I grew up in a very conservative home, and so also another artist that I think of in my childhood is Stephen Curtis Chapman. Okay. Um, I grew up in Nebraska. Yeah. But Michael Card, my dad listened to a lot of those records, and those records were crazy musical. Like I mean, like. 
like a conservative Little Feet, if you know the mm-hmm. band Little Feet. Mm-hmm. It's just like really, really crazy musical. Um, so I feel like that kind of taught me a lot. And we listened to a lot of classical too, a lot of classical music. Wow. So it sounds like music was all over as you were growing up. And you mentioned your dad a couple of times and it sounds like you were really close. And how old were you when he passed away? Yeah, I was 13 when he passed away. And I I think I just had turned 13 after he died. And um, my dad just really, he just really got me. Mm-hmm. And my, my mom and I are, are so close now, but my mom did not get me. But, but I always just felt really kindred spirit with him. And he, um, when I started writing songs... I don't know, my, my dad just really, I think, caught on early that that was something that I, I might be good at. He really nurtured it. And even before, like, when he knew he was going to die, he, like, went out of his way to make sure that I had kind of these tools to write songs. So, yeah, we were really close, and I miss him very much. <laughs> I know that losing a parent, obviously, is a huge milestone. I, I lost my dad about five years ago. And I think it's hard to explain how much of a influence something like that has on you if you haven't been through it. And I'm just curious how that affected your music consumption playing. Like what happened after that? I started buying Rob Zombie records. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that was the kind of rebellion phase? Um, a little bit. And I'm sorry to hear about your dad, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, it does suck. But yeah, I think more more than on a listening element, because so I grew up, I was homeschooled, um, and I actually got really sick before my dad got sick. I missed a bunch of school, and then I, I went, my little brother and I went into school when my dad started getting sick. And so it was just like a lot of really big changes for me all at once. And then when he passed away, you know, I was going into my freshman year of high school, I guess, And uh, it felt like everything was really loud. But the one thing that changed when he died was I would just sit in my room and I would just play and I would just write. And I mean, I was writing like 12 minute songs. And when you say write, do you mean music and lyrics? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was like before he passed away, I had written a couple songs and it had like he taught me like a verse, chorus, verse, bridge, just that structure. And I really dove into that, except for as a kid, as an emotional high school hormonal girl, I was writing like. Verse, 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 chorus, verse, 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 <laughs> verse, bridge, outro. And I don't even think I started to get the hang of it till I moved to Nashville. <laughs> but it helped me grieve, it helped me process a lot. Yeah, I was going to ask, so that was a therapeutic thing for you. Most teenagers, I mean, in that situation, you might not have had a an outlet. I mean, writing, art, music. I would feel lucky that I had that outlet. Oh, yeah. And like I said, I, I feel like my dad made sure that I, I had that. I'd say it's a lifesaver. And I I work with a lot of young girls in Nashville on that front because I'm such a big believer on the power of music as an emotional expression and a way to process what's happening to you in life. So So when did you move to Nashville? How did that come about? I moved out when I was 17 and I went through just a very get me the F out of Nebraska. I want to go see the world. And so I moved to the East Coast. And I traveled around there. I mean, I, I just was, I can't believe I'm still alive. I was crazy. I drove a 1997 Astro minivan. I took the back seat out. I put a mattress in there. I lived in my van. Like, I, I would go up to New York City as, as a very young, very naive girl and just park in Brooklyn. And I'd just sleep in the back of my van. I remember waking up one morning and there's just all these guys, like construction workers, just like looking in the window. Like, yeah. What is this? Is that person alive? But, uh, but yeah, I traveled around and then I ended up having a stint in Houston, just kind of processing life. And that 
led me to go to Colorado. I moved to Estes Park, Colorado, and that city is like a second home to me. And the mountains and everything just, it was a healing phase for me. Mm-hmm. And by that point, I had been playing everywhere I lived. And, you know, it's like any all your friends think you're great. And, you know, of course, my mom thinks I'm very talented. But, uh, you know, it's like, but am, am I, you know? And I was playing a lot of shows in Colorado. And I don't know, it just kind of, for me, it was like, I think I should move to Nashville and see if this is an actual thing. And then I did. So as you were processing life and traveling around the country and New York and, and Houston and Colorado, was that all music related? Like, were you playing shows? Were you? No, I honestly, I, I didn't even growing up in high school, I played a couple shows in Lincoln, but I, I didn't really play live at all until probably Colorado. And I, I, I guess I did a little bit, but not not anywhere like now. Um, I was living in my van. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> And when you moved to Nashville, did you know that you were going to try to make a career in music? That seems like that was the point of moving there, or or was it not? I really just didn't have a concept of what a music career would be. And I didn't understand. I didn't even really know what the music business was when I moved here. And so I think I was moving to collaborate creatively and just like see like, oh, there's other people like me here. And I wonder what might transpire. And I remember I had my first co-write, probably the first couple months I lived in Nashville and when I had that collaborative experience with somebody that that wrote a song I was just instantly like oh my gosh this is this is it <laughs> so when when you got there I mean you must have had a ton of songs that you had written over time but did you start over or did you bring some of those songs with you I had two songs that I wrote that are my first record that I moved to Nashville with and one is called getting tired and it is like when I finger pick on guitar, I, um, I take after my dad and his style. It's like a bossa nova jazz vibey song. And then uh, there's a song on my first record called Lion's Cage that I had written before I moved to Nashville. And then when I was in Nashville, I kind of fine tuned it a little bit. Your debut record came out in 2013 called Just Be Honest. What was the process like from moving to Nashville to releasing that album? What was that journey like? To be honest, it was it was very rough. <laughs> it was. I moved to Nashville. I didn't know anybody. I did not know a single person, which wasn't a rare thing for me to do. I moved to town. I found a place on Craigslist. I lived in this girl's loft, um, an actual loft, <laughs> for a couple months. And that was just to get my bearings. And then I found East Nashville, and I knew the area I wanted to live in. But the first couple years were brutal. And, you know, I got a job waiting tables and... More than anything, and I, I feel like anybody who moves here, I always try to encourage them, like, just hang on. But when you don't know anybody, it's, Nashville's kind of clicky. It's hard to get in and, like, feel known or feel like, I don't know, to, to feel like you have a community of people around you. So, yeah, the first couple of years were really hard, but it was really good for me, and I grew a lot. And by the time I was kind of getting into publisher rooms and writing and getting the buzz, if you will, mm-hmm. I feel like I had grown up a lot. I was actually writing at a publisher called Major Bob Music in town, which is Garth Brooks' manager's publishing house. And I was writing there. He kind of mentored me as a songwriter, like just got me in writing a lot with people. And it got to the point where it was like, are you going to sign me officially or, you know, not? And he just sat me down and he goes, you know, Shannon, if I signed you as a writer, I would expect you to write these songs, like a certain type of song. And he said, you're an artist. 
and he said, you would be miserable if I signed you here. And he told, and he just told me, it's like your best songs are the songs you write from your personal experience. And he said, I think that you need to go make a record. And it was so funny because when he said it, it was just like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> and then I went and did it. I met these awesome producers and we made Just Be Honest. So. That's cool. You're making it sound very casual, but I assume that there was like, you had some intentionality going there and trying to make it in music because it's not easy to do in Nashville. Were you pretty driven during that time? Like, I need to find this calling. I need to break through. I need to figure out this career. I'm such an optimist about life. I truly am. It drives some of my friends crazy. (laughs) I'm all about making it work. So yeah, it's been hard and it continues to be hard. But I had a call from somebody when I first moved to Nashville, and I can't remember who it is, but it's a friend of mine from Oklahoma, some old dude songwriter. And they're like, no, Shannon's really great. You know, she has this voice, blah, 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 blah. Please call her. She just moved to Nashville. And he called me, and it's just total stranger. And he just said, oh, you moved to Nashville. Oh, I heard some of your music. I think you're great. And he gave me this advice. He said, I want you to really think about in this moment, do you have a plan B or C job, or like, is there something else that you think you would like to do if music doesn't work out? And he said, and if you have a plan B, you should go do that. (laughs) He said, but while I'm talking to you, if in your gut and your soul, while I just said that, you thought, no, there's there's nothing else that I'll do but this, then you're going to hold on to this moment when you knew without a shadow of a doubt that like, this is what I was born to do. And I mean, I get chills telling you that yeah. story because I remember him telling that. And I remember thinking like, no, there's no, no waiting tables is like not my plan B. I mean, and like I was saying in COVID, I, I'm just discovering all these things that I'm really bad at. I mean, I really <laughs> suck at a lot in life. And so I think, I think that carried me through a lot, but no, it was, it was a lot of hard work. And I mean, that, it was two years of writing like four or five days a week, like 10 to 4 PM. Um, and that's, that's a lot of songs. And also that's just writing a lot of really bad songs. So it it truly was like two years of just failing and not being good. Which you have to be willing to put in the time and be willing to fail in any hobby, enterprise, business, whatever. What did you want people to take away from that, that record, Just Be Honest, when it came out? I was young and I wanted to be liked. If I'm being really honest, I think that I wanted people to acknowledge me. Yeah, that, that record was just kind of a, here's my songs, here's the songs that I love. And I, I think I think kind of my motive was a little selfish because I would say right now my new record is a totally different perspective. And when I wrote these songs, I was thinking about the people that will hear them and like what I want them to take away from it. And so I feel very much like I was a young girl when I made that record. And I feel like a woman today with this new record. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that evolution. And there's one in between as well. And, and we should talk about that. But the production of this, did you write everything? Did you have help? Because I, I feel like it has a, such a cool sound. And, and that sound continues through all three of your albums, I think, with horns and kind of organ and some Nashville kind of sounds, but also a lot of different influences. Did you have a vision for what you wanted that to sound like? I would attribute that first record a lot to my producers. Um, and they, they played on the record as well. But that record, we, you know, it's my first. So I would go, I would play my song and then they would build. Then we put the drums on and then we put, you know, so it was it was very much, I think they called it the Frankenstein record because, you know, you're just putting pieces all around. That album, I probably wrote the most solo on that. And that, that record is for sure, I would say me at my rawest form. 
I don't know why, but there's just this way that I play that I don't, it's just what comes out uh, when I put my hands on the piano or I play guitar. <laughs> Cause I didn't really grow up on jazz at all. And so I feel like that record kind of got the sound based on the roots of it. But the Zod Lounge guys that produced that, they were amazing. They did so much that I would have never thought of in a million years. That's cool. Well, the sound, I think, established sort of your sound, right? Your yeah. studio sound, which continued to evolve. But you can still hear parts of that sound in, in the next album. What, what happened in between releasing that first album and writing the second one? <laughs> so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that first record was just young, hopeful, naive Shan. And um, so my next, my most recent record before this one was called War and Peace. And I call it my therapy record. Everybody has one, but it was truly me in the midst of a, a really dark time in my life. And which I have honestly just, I would say in the last year and a half or two, kind of, I would say fully kind of come out of it. Hmm. But yeah, there was a, uh, there was a very intense relationship with um, someone who struggled with addiction mm -hmm. and um there was a lot of death in that time and i also started going to therapy before that record and which i'm a huge fan of and love talking about because it truly was such a gift to me to go to therapy but i i really worked through a lot and i also during that time i would say i learned how to grieve my dad's death because i i don't think i i think i'd always been running from that pain and this record there on war and peace there's a song called heaven crash down that i wrote which is the first song I'd ever written about him, and it's it's about him dying. But War and Peace is a pretty heavy record. It's pretty dark, but it's very, very honest. <laughs> yeah, and the, the first song is called It's Political, and it's clear that there's a point of view, I think, throughout the whole record. And 2016 feels like a different lifetime at this point. But <laughs> it, does. it sounds like there were personal themes that came through. Was there also broader kind of themes that were inspiring that? I don't know. I feel like that album was me like digging my heels in. I feel like I was pushing down into who I was and also what I thought about the world around me. And so I think that was probably the biggest theme. With my first album, I got some buzz, if you will, and that kind of went on and then some things happened, which is a long story. But I had some labels that were really interested in signing me. Mm -hmm. And those conversations just kept happening for a while. And it was emotionally just really exhausting. And I just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I, I have to make this album. Like, I can't wait and sit on this anymore. And like, you know, it, at the end of the day, like my career is in my hands. And, and I can't just wait for someone to come and like whisk it away and like make something happen. And I also, I, I write, I write a lot and it, drives me nuts to just have all these songs on my computer and not have them out. And so War and Peace was a little bit of a rebel record for me too, which was just me being like, I'm going to do this regardless. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like that record was kind of me finding my my intellectual voice maybe. <laughs> and how did it feel once that was out there? Was it similar? Like, was it nice to have it out there? Were you guys at all hesitant to put it out there? The song that I was the most hesitant to release was a song called Alcohol, which I released as a single before that record came out. That song was really nerve-wracking putting out there. But whenever music comes out, I feel so relieved and I feel just, I don't know, it, it feels good. Rolling Stone said about you, it's as if Nora Jones and the late great Jeff Buckley started a band and went a tiny bit country. 
Do you hear that? I mean, what do you hear of, of your own music? Would you explain it differently? It's really hard, I think, for any creative person or artist to describe what they do in reference to other great artists. When I moved to Colorado, I did not know who Jeff Buckley was, but I, was, I used to play at this bar called Mary's Lake Lodge. And people, like three or four people would come up and be like, You're, you remind me of Jeff Buckley. And I would just be like, oh, thanks, you know, <laughs> just. And then finally one day, my friend was like, do you know who he is? I was like, no, she's like, you ever heard Lilac Wine? I'm like, no. And so she played that for me. And then I listened to the Grace record, which is uh, probably one of my favorite albums of all time. Two or three years ago, I was like, oh, everybody was doing tribute shows in Nashville. I was like, I want to play the Grace album. So I put this tribute show together and we did the Grace album. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done musically. I mean, he's insane. Like you hear it and it sounds hard, but oh my gosh, it's hard. And like one of my favorite songs ever is Lover, You Should Have Come Over. Mm -hmm. And all the songs, the structure makes no sense. He doesn't do the same thing twice. And the band that played on that album is just... What was the hardest part about it? Like, was it actually the songs themselves? What he was learning them. And yeah. two, the alternate, there's some very odd alternate tunings, but yeah, just, just learning them. And of course, I mean, singing it's the hardest part, which you would think, but it's not. And when you, re- well, like with the band, when you started to really listen to what the players are playing, it's incredible. Wow. I mean, that, that record is a masterpiece in my opinion. It's so good. Definitely up there in terms of influencing a lot of people. But yeah, just, I get the comparison because... More than anything, I think songwriting-wise, the structures get a little wild mm-hmm. and unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And at that time when I was in Colorado, I, w- I was just all over the place. So yeah, I don't know. Like Rolling Stone saying that is, it's a great compliment. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> man, were you wasted? I don't know. <laughs> were you wasted when you wrote that? But I mean, it's, it's, it's such a great compliment. Yeah, well, I think it's the, the combination of having a really great voice, but also good songwriting and good arranging musically. You know, that's that's hard to do because you could be a singer for another band, right? But you're you're doing kind of all of it and putting it all together, which is, I think, rare. I will say from that record in particular, War and Peace, I vocally really, because I, I toured a bunch after my first record. And, you know, when, when you're touring, you just you just become better in every way. You become a better singer, a better player. I mean, you're just, what is that, Malcolm Gabba, you log you need to log in your 15,000 hours? Yeah, 10,000 hours. 10,000 yeah. hours? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I logged in a lot of those hours. And so when I went in to do that record vocally, I just really was stretching. And there's a song on that album called Crumble that the vocal on that, I mean, I swear, it's like I almost blacked out because I just wasn't thinking and I was just so in the moment. And there weren't moments like that on my first record because I just didn't have the experience. But with More in Peace, I had the experience, so I was able to to let go and just kind of get lost in the music a little more. Are there any female artists that you looked up to in terms of vocal style or, or vocal expression? Is there anyone who comes to mind? Uh, well, Lauren Hill is mm-hmm. number one. <laughs> right, uh, of course. One of the greatest singers probably of all time. I'm trying to think back on the inspiration because right now I'm like Aretha Franklin, Roberta Fleck. I would, I would probably put Grace Potter in there. I feel like mm-hmm. I was just... But yeah, I, I would say Lauren Hill has probably influenced me vocally the, more than any other artist. So we've talked to other female artists, particularly artist based in Nashville about the male dominated country music scene there and how that's affected them. Have you been affected negatively by that culture? 
I will say that I have been, again, I, I'm, I am an optimist. Like I just, I could, I could look at my career in Nashville and there's a lot of things that I could harp on. All the men that I have worked with in the music industry in Nashville have been phenomenal. I guess for me, I've been able to work with the guys that are super aware of the male-dominated environment and also how that's impacted women in the music industry. So the guys that I've worked with have been awesome and like totally have my back. So my experience has been great. This is funny you asked that question because I just had a conversation with Tia Sillers, who is kind of my partner in crime writing these days. Mm-hmm. But she's one of the most successful songwriters in town. She wrote I Hope You Dance. She wrote Blue and Black. I mean, she's written massive hits. Uh, There's Your Trouble by the Dixie Chicks. But she's been in this town since the 90s. Like, she, as a song, as a female songwriter in Nashville, and she has stories about a male-dominated environment. And it was interesting. We were talking about it, and I'm listening to her stories, and they're, they're very different from mine. And so I feel like that's really helpful that mm-hmm. things are changing and things are getting better. But then I, you know, I was telling her, oh yeah, but then there was this huge manager that pretty much was kept moving our meeting to talk about my career. And then it was like, hey, why don't you come by my hotel room at 2 a.m.? And it's like, no, I don't <laughs> think I will do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I could, I could focus in on that and let that really upset me. But for me, it was, I don't know, it's just like, all right. Yeah, just move ne- on. Next, let's, okay, obviously I'm not going to work with you. That's not meant to be. Yeah, we've so. heard a lot of those same stories just on this show, you know, with a handful of female artists that we've interviewed. And it's uh, it's disturbing, but I, yeah, I hope it's changing. I like the optimistic point of view. Yeah. And, and on the country side, I, you know, I'm not a I'm not a country artist. And so the music industry that I work in is very forward thinking. And like the guys in radio that I know are are amazing. I don't know. I think it is changing. And I think that's something to be encouraged by. So this album building, it comes out September 25th. This seems like another, you know, step forward, of course, in terms of songwriting and the evolution. How did all this come together? And can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm very excited about this album because to me, the album has so much, it's just laced with so much hope. And that's very much where I'm at in my life right now. And I'm just excited. There's not like sad songs on this album. And mm-hmm. that's that's a feat for me, because <laughs> I mean my last record was very very heavy, and was that and intentional? Did you want to make a purely positive album? This album started in the end of a relationship for me, a, a very long, very intense one, and so I think when I and it's interesting because I'm revealing so much on this podcast, but I actually wrote building about that relationship with Tia. And I would talk to Tia about my significant other. And then when we ended up um, breaking up last year, she was just like, I, I can't believe that. You know, like, you know, we wrote these songs and I just had no idea that things were the way that they actually were. And I told her, you know, I think, and I, that's where I think optimism is dangerous. But I wrote the song that I wanted to be true. And so I think that these songs are songs that I needed. And I was writing because I wanted them to be true in my life. And in a weird way, as a songwriter, I feel like the songs I write do that sometimes. I, I'm not saying I'm a prophet or I'm telling my future, but I do think that there's this weird thing when you put intention in to what you're writing, it somehow flows out into your life. But yeah, so there was an intention there. And the song Firewalker, which is really cool, that's about overcoming struggle. Am I interpreting that right? 
Yeah, and I did write that song with Tia and Joe Robinson. So we all three had been overcoming struggles. But yeah, I actually, in a recent show I did, I just said, like, this song is... Because um, I just recently re-released a version of Alcohol, which is the saddest song probably I've ever written in my life. But it's kind of like, this song is, yeah, what came after that. Mm-hmm. And for me, Firewalker is, like, taking a glimpse over my shoulder and just realizing what I survived. Sometimes I look around my shoulder at my past and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I made it through that. And so that's what inspired that song for sure. Was the whole album recorded live? Yes, it was. Well, it all was recorded live to tape, which is, again, so many more tour dates from my last record to this date, uh, which enabled me to do that. I, I don't even think three months before that session I would have been able to do that. That session was the first session I did with my publisher. And T and I are kindred spirits, like tied together in a creative way that I've not experienced often. I like maybe two other people that write like that together. So we wrote these songs and we're like, let's let's do a session. Let's book a session and record our five favorite songs. And, and also kind of trying to like fine tune a little bit of the lane musically because my last two records have, they are kind of all over the place. So wanting to like really kind of hone in like, what is Shannon? And for everybody, it was like, let's do it live because what you do live on the road is what we should do in the studio and record it. And so we did those five songs and then COVID happened and my publisher, Dee, called me and she's like, Shannon, this sounds great. COVID, we're not going to be in the studio anytime soon. And I think we need to release these. These are great songs. And she was just like, they are hopeful. And it's like, we kind of need that. I, I need that right now. Um, but with that said, I had recorded a Tom Petty song last year, also live, but separately. And my engineer, Charles, was like, let's put that on there. You know, I love... I was like, okay. And then I wrote this song this year called The Things We Say. And I just felt like that was a song that I wanted to put on there. And so during COVID, the way the studio set up, we Charles and I were able to do that safely. So I went in and recorded that live. So all live, but two separate little hodgepodge ones. Amazing. Um, it turned out really well. I'm excited for people to be able to hear it. I was going to ask you about the It's Good to Be King. It really interesting take on that song i was it was not what i was expecting when i saw tom petty cover i i think it's like a tom petty um reimagination you know (laughs) it's yeah which is cool tom petty is one of my favorite artists i love him that is my favorite tom petty song the outro to that song with the Mm -hmm. keys Mm -hmm. in it oh my gosh and i got to see him do that song live at bonnaroo it was so good. <laughs> was it? Um, was that song kind of like a, a statement of any kind, or, or was it really just like that's a cool cover that you do? Let's put it on there. Like when I would sing that song, I'd be like, "Oh, it'd be cool to hear a girl sing this song," because it, it's the sentiment is like feels very genuine. Um, and then I just started playing it, and yeah, it just happened. But it is weird. I do this thing with covers where. Sometimes I, I just feel like I hope I didn't just insult Tom Petty because this is so different from his version and his version is perfect. It's like, why would I mess with that? You know, but I, it's an honor to sing one of his songs. Yeah, I think it's cool. I, like, I like that it's completely different, but has the same core, you know. Um, yeah. Are you a big Petty fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. 
Friday evening, have a beer and listen to Tom Petty is like a, a real pastime of mine. He's the artist you put on to chill to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that my my favorite record is Echo. Okay. Um, but cool. my other favorite song that I would like to do at some point is Swingin'. Okay. Interesting. Um, which, yeah. Which is a great song. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think he's underrated in like the whole the general world of music just because he did what seemed so simple over and over again you know and in ways that are pretty amazing just brilliant well congratulations on getting the album out there i want to ask you a little bit about the future what now that this is is getting out there where are you putting your creative energy are you continuing to write songs are you what are you doing now to get all that creativity out yeah i i'm definitely writing i will admit though it caught me off guard because I do write so much. Just, just even just by, I just, it's, if I don't, I'll go crazy, honestly. And I'm, I, I don't like being in the same place too long. And so tour, to be on the road is a place that I thrive. It was really weird with COVID being stuck in a place. You would think I would have been just pouring out songs, but there was like three weeks there where I just, I had nothing. It was interesting, but I'm, I'm back at it now. And, um, yeah, so I'm writing a lot. I'm writing for my next session. That uh, I actually have a new song I'm excited to record. It's called Plan Z, <laughs> <laughs> which I feel like is where I'm at now. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And so uh, continuing to write like as, as much yeah. as possible. Yeah, yeah, I'm writing a lot. But I'm also, I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of putting out a record. So it's really weird putting an album out and not going on tour. And it was so funny. I got these two dates booked yesterday there'll be my first live date since march 7th and the excitement i felt and i just felt all of a sudden like so focused i was like oh i have two live dates this fall that's amazing <laughs> i gotta get ready for them yeah yeah and really great for fans too we'll link to your website so people can see where they can catch you live so what kind of music are you listening to these days i listen to podcasts non-stop podcasts when i tour i rarely listen to music in the car like I listen to podcasts, mm-hmm. but since COVID, I started listening to music again, and I've been eating it up. I love Gary Clark Jr.'s live record. Mm-hmm. Oh, that album I have on a lot, and I love the War on Drugs record. I also just discovered, because of a friend, Gregory Allen Isakoff. He's amazing. He has a record called This Northern Hemisphere that is just beautiful. So I think that's what I've been listening to, and then I you know, just came out of a, a rough year last year, and listening to a lot of Aretha. She's very empowering. She very much makes me feel like I can do anything. Given your optimism, what are you most optimistic about in terms of our current situation with regard to music? Like, what do you see coming out of this that you're excited about? There's a lot of things. I have a quote board in my room. Um, Every week I just have a new quote and I read it every day and just try to and I'm terrible at memorizing them. But one of them was, you know, you if you want to live a great life, you have to get out of the monotony. And if you're doing the same thing over and over again, you're not going to grow. So you have to do something that you don't know how to do once every day. I feel like in the music world, everyone for the last six months is doing things that they've never done before. I think it's been a fiery moment and everyone is learning a lot. And... But man, I think that the cup is going to flow with all over the place creatively because I think people are, they've just grown so much. And I have to, I I don't particularly like doing live stream shows because I I like the energy of being in person with people. But I've learned a lot about connecting with people. Like, and I don't know, I feel like that's going to make me a better performer in some way or another. 
But yeah, I, I think that when anybody goes through a hard time, you come out the other side and you're stronger. It's been weird because I've also had friends through this time that they reflected on the last three years of their life and they're like, you know, I don't really want to do this anymore. Hmm. I don't really like touring. Why, why am I busting my butt on the road? I, I don't like doing it. And so I've had some friends have some pretty huge life-altering, I'm going to go be a music therapist and work in old folks' homes. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So it's been interesting in that way. I feel, like, I feel like people are really finding what they want in life. See, that's a good optimistic way to look at it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and people should stick around because you're going to hear Shannon perform some songs. But thank you for going through all this. It was a real deep dive. Yeah, it was a deep dive. Well, thank you for having me. And now, here's Shannon Labrie performing Raining Hallelujah, Alcohol, and Firewalker. Sadness is the 
There's lots of things he can't control, like loving me and alcohol. He doesn't have the power to choose. He doesn't have the will to lose. I thought my heart was strong, strong enough to right the wrong. Oh, but that drink is strong, and it fights me all night long. I found my man on the ground again, red from drinking all my pain. He's in love with the thing I hate. I can't leave. I'm doomed to stay. He makes me bear the worst of things, all the memories, all the shame. But I'll pick my man off the ground again till the grave takes hold of him.
inch by inch crawling embers and ashes falling blanket of smoke is covering up my sky step by step lord it takes your breath don't it some days i swear the flames get 10 feet high i did not set out to know Thanks for joining us. Past, Present, Future Live is hosted and produced by RJB. The executive producers are Adam Kaplan and Kirsten Cluthy. Production, editing, mixing, and original theme music by Brad Stratton. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. Please visit OsirisPod.com to find more content and deepen your connection to the music you love.